Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. If you don't know me, my name is Janelle. It's so good to be here with you this afternoon. Um, I am uh, the associate pastor here at Hope Brooklyn. And before we get into... um, scripture, I just really felt the last song I just told Janice, I'm like, you know, I just need to be prepared sometimes for certain songs that come up because it really, um, it just kind of undid me. Uh, But I really felt this prompting from the Holy Spirit to pray um, for our city Uh, and to pray for, um, yeah, just... What is happening outside of these doors at this moment? And um, if you would join me in prayer for Brooklyn. Lord, we thank you for your grace that is vast. Lord, and deep and very costly. And Lord, your grace is extended, Lord, to all. Lord, right now we pray for our city. We pray for our borough. We pray for um, the voices that we hear at this moment walking out past this door. And we pray, Jesus, for an encounter with you. We pray for your love, Lord, to pour out, Lord, on the people of Brooklyn and beyond. Lord, we pray for our neighbors. We pray for our coworkers. We pray, Lord, for our colleagues. And we ask Jesus that you move. Lord, we pray, God, that as we walk out of here, Lord, that we walk out, Father, as witnesses, Lord, to your to that love and mercy and grace. Lord, that um, Lord, we are salt and light. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as we exit. Um, these doors this afternoon. Oh, change us, Holy Spirit, um, and make us more flavorful, make us brighter than when we came in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you for praying with me. Uh, And open up your Bibles, and we are going to dive in to this portion of Scripture. Um, I actually... Um, I actually was had landed on the scripture when we were getting ready for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you um, read our devotional guide um, and you read about and if you engaged with it at all and read one of the days, um, someone wrote about the paralytic man being lowered from the roof. That was me. Um, and since that moment, I was sitting at a local coffee shop actually um, in Bedsty because that's where we live. And uh, we actually got kicked out of there. Well, not really kicked out, but um, we didn't know that, you know, Saturdays were like, where you weren't supposed to be on your computers. Um, it's like a whole thing, right? Because everyone's trying to brunch and trying to like be social and I'm trying to get Sharon all of my <laughs> devotionals on time. Um, but as I was sitting there, this passage, it, it really did, I mean, just as the song today, but it, it like pierced my heart. 
And I was, as I had, was reading it, I have kept coming back to this passage since then. Um, and it landed in it over and over again. Um, and so when um, Brian said, hey, you know, can you preach um, on this week? I said, sure. And the Lord's like, I want you to, t- I want you to preach on this. Um, and so I said, are you sure? Is this going to be a little redundant? And he's like, that's my invitation. What are you going to do with it? So um, here we are. And uh, I, would want, I want to invite you um, during the week, if you have a moment, read the whole chapter. It's, it's pretty spicy. Um, Jesus is, in a very subversive and wise way, um, pronouncing who he is. Uh, and he does it to a couple of groups of people. Um, they call this the pronouncement chapter um, in the Gospels, where you know he doesn't do it in a you know in ways that we're kind of used to announcements happening. He does it um, through healing. He does it through seeing people's hearts, and he does it through actually dining with people that. Um, were kind of the untouchables of their time. And, uh, and he points back to the heart continually. Boom. The heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Um, and he's being trolled by three groups of people. A crowd. There's a crowd that's following Jesus. Um, the religious leaders of the day. They're like everywhere he goes. There they are. And there's a specific group of people that Jesus, that isn't actually trolling him, but he's kind of trolling them. And these are all the people that we're going to encounter in our time today. Um, So Mark 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that that were there Wait, I'm so sorry. So many people gathered together that there, were, that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the messages to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And I just want to kind of land here real quick um, in this very, very interesting start, not just to this chapter, but to the gospel of Mark itself. Uh, Here we have this man that can't move, and we have four friends that bring him and are trying to get him to see Jesus. Because if he just sees Jesus, something's going to happen. But they can't. Because a a crowd of people have gathered um, because Jesus has already a reputation. And so they have an idea. Let's lower this man from the roof, which I find is so audacious and awesome. <laughs> and they, which, and also a bit awkward. I mean, I'm not quite sure like how these homes were assembled, but I can't imagine that this was something that was easy. 
And what I found in just the first couple of sentences in this chapter is something that I always seem to encounter, which is sometimes it's really difficult to see Jesus. Sometimes I find myself wanting to encounter him, but there's just a lot that's getting in the way. It's just too crowded, and I need help. And here we see that four men took it upon themselves to get the job done, and they didn't care how they did it. They just did. And friends, sometimes in that moment of seeing Jesus, we would think, oh, but it's going to be easy. Sometimes encountering Jesus is the hardest thing we will ever do. And it's something that we can't do by ourselves. We need people. We need others. We need friends. We need people to come around us and to bear the burden and to figure out a plan to get us to the feet of a savior. And that's exactly what these men did. So let's see what happens. Verse five, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? He sees them. He sees their faith. And as soon as he sees this happening, he says something so profound, yet a little bit nonsensical. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm like, Jesus, the man can't walk. He can't move. And the first words out of your mouth are, your sins are forgiven. I find that so fascinating. In Luke's encounter and in Matthew's encounter, who we are going to encounter um, towards the middle of this, ch- of this chapter, um, you know, the, the dodgy people that Jesus was sitting around the table was Matthew. He was the tax collector. And um, in his account, they, he refers to Jesus talking to the paralytic as son. In the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says that he says, son, take courage, your sins are forgiven. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And I find that mixed with this challenge is the sense of love and compassion that Jesus has on this man on a stretcher. Because Jesus isn't just seeing him, Jesus isn't, see, isn't just seeing him as a sinner. He's seeing the barrier. He's seeing the thing that is paralyzing him from wholeness. And you know what? It's not his physical ailment. It's his heart. And so then what happens? An interruption. The religious leaders are not okay with this. Verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves. They're not even saying this out loud. They're just thinking to themselves. Why does he speak like this? So this is my L.A. coming out. I kind of feel like they have a little bit of a L.A. accent when they say that. You can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> um, he is blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the people that have been placed there to point people towards something bigger than themselves, towards God, are looking at this interaction and they're hostile. And they question it, like, who does this guy think he is? And then Jesus moves his attention to them, knowing what is going on in their heart, looks at them and says, why are you questioning me? And he pronounces to them exactly what they're thinking. Right away, Jesus understood in verse 8, in his spirit, that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And then he says this question, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? What a question. But so you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And what happens? Immediately, he got up, picked up his mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Friends, this dramatic moment underscores exactly what Jesus values. Before he values anything that we see with our own two eyes, he values what our intentions are that nobody sees. He values your heart. He values what's going on inside. And he's not afraid to confront it. What is so interesting is that in this moment, when Jesus tells the paralytic to get up, it says immediately he gets up. Takes up his mat and does exactly what Jesus says. I wonder what this man's heart did when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine that encounter? Can you imagine the sense and the feeling of freedom in that moment? For those of you that have said yes to Jesus and have followed him, remember that moment when you encountered Jesus for the first time. I remember sitting on my grandmother's coffee table in her living room, my feet dangling off, and her telling me the good news of Jesus, and I understood it, and I started to cry. That was my mat. That old coffee table, 1823 North Altadena Drive. And that moment forever shaped my life, even though I had no idea why what I was feeling or why I was feeling it, I knew this Jesus had met me in a very specific way that no one else could. 
And we see that all the people around Jesus is responding. This man's physical body is responding. This man's heart is responding. The people, the crowds are in awe, and they're responding. But who is having a hard time responding? The ones who should know better. They don't say anything. And that pierces my heart as well. So then our chapter continues, and Jesus is walking along, and he encounters Levi at his tax collector booth, and Jesus looks at him and says, follow me, and he does. And I don't know what happens in between that interaction, but we see Jesus at Levi's house around a table with all his friends, and they are a shady bunch. And the people, the, the Jews of the day, did not like the tax collectors because they were Jews, but they had sold out their people and aligned themselves with their oppressors so that they could get rich, basically. And so the religious leaders are looking at this interaction and they are not having it. And they're like, why are you, with, why are you eating with them? And again, Jesus in his love and his mercy doesn't put his attention on the people around his table. Where does he put his attention? He puts his attention to the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's like... Why do the people that are well need a doctor? It's the sick that need a doctor. They should know that. And yet they're trying to create barriers for this moment to take place. And I don't know what happens around that table, but I know this. Levi continues to follow Jesus. And I don't know the interaction that took place personally between them, but we see the outcome as we continue to read the New Testament. But this man ended up dying for this man around the table, just as Jesus died for him. Friends, the beauty of the way that Jesus announces himself and the way that he conducts himself around the table with the crowd and in the space of the religious elite is very profound. He doesn't assert power. He doesn't assert a miracle to show people up. He comes very meekly, and he comes with grace, but he comes with authority. And I can't help but to think, and I can't help but to see in all these places who was really the paralyzed group in this picture? Was it the man being lowered down the roof? Was it a table full of tax collectors and shady people? Or was it those that knew better? And this is my challenge, and this is my mirror that I keep coming back to when I encounter the gospel. And as I read this, you might find yourself in very different portions of this. But I'm just going to tell you where I find myself. 
more and more I find myself with the religious elite in there. And I'm not proud of it. But the reason why the Lord calls us to continually come to him daily through prayer, through opening this book and reading, through going and being with the community of faith, is that these things will push us to his presence, to his feet. Because that's the only place where he's going to look at us and say, Janelle, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. Because friends, there are places in my life that are paralyzed. There are places in my life that I have left dormant for a specific amount of time or I have been in denial about and I can't move anymore. And you know what usually disrupts that? I would love to say, Brian, it's your messages on Sunday morning, (laughs) but it's not. It's you guys. It's my community of faith. It's my friendships. It's those people around me that know me, that see me, and say, "Mm." and what do they do? They are lowering me to the feet of Jesus. It's being around the table with people that think different than I do. It's being around a table with people that I might not even trust. I'm like, you shady. But I need Jesus in that moment. And he starts to break something up inside of me. A pastor who I love and respect, his name is Dr. A.J. Sabota. he said this, Jesus is not a condiment that makes our old life better. He actually takes the old life away and he gives us a brand new one. Friends, if we're going to live in these tensions, which we are, and we do, we need Jesus anew every single day. And how he, how he caps all this off is he talks about new wineskins and old wineskins. And he talks about how ridiculous it is to try to put new wine into old wineskins because what's it going to do? It's going gonna, it's gonna to break up the old wineskins and your, your wine's going to be ruined. But here's what my religion tends to do sometimes. When it's not active and it's dormant, It's like me trying to put new wine into an old wineskin, and it doesn't work. Just like this quote. I try to make Jesus a condiment to how my life is already functioning so I can get by. And you know what? Jesus wants none of that. And he's going to tell me, no, 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 no. Why are you thinking that? Why are you doing that? I, I want to make you brand new. We need to start over again. And the thing, the cautionary tale in this chapter is that 
that dinner party, I'm pretty sure they were transformed. That dinner party that Jesus invited himself to after calling Levi, that was a transcendent moment that I'm sure their lives were changed forever. The man, the friends that came and could not walk and see, who later walked out of there, there, that was a transcendent moment and their lives were changed forever. And here we see a group of men that were privy to every single one of these interactions and their lives weren't changed. Friends, please. May the moment when Jesus looks into our hearts and says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven, take courage. May may we respond accordingly. May we look into the eyes of our Savior and say yes and receive that invitation, take up our mat and go home. Friends, may we be free. What does this have to do with sense and calling? It has everything to do with sense and calling. If we aren't having these transcendent moments with Christ, what are we doing here? If we aren't having these transcendent moments with Jesus, what are we showing the world that lies right outside of our door? This isn't proselytization. I'm not talking about standing at a corner and saying turn or burn. But are are our lives reflective of a God who stares at us and looks at our heart and says your sins are forgiven? Where's your mat? May that be the place where we're commissioned to go. May that be the place where we're commissioned to look at our neighborhood differently. May that be the place where we walk into our work on Monday morning and we look at our colleagues in a different way. Oh, friends, may it break our heart for what breaks the heart of Jesus. And may that restoration not just bring healing to us, but to those around us. May we be invited into places that are hungry and thirsty for something, for salt and light that they see within us, but they can't articulate or understand, and may we respond accordingly. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is new wine, Hope Brooklyn. This is the joy of our salvation. And may we go and do likewise.